Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Petrie, and this is the Hernia You podcast on why you do what you do. This is our sixth episode. And today I'm very, very excited to be here with Dr. Jacob, who is the founder of the International Hernia Collaboration. Hello, Dr. Jacob. What's up, Jennifer? Hi, everybody. <laughs> and we are very excited to be talking to you today on how he's introduced hernia education into social media. So, Dr. Jacob, my first question for you today is, what brought you to creating the International Hernia Collaboration? It's a great question, Jen. The, uh, <clears throat> the world of education is something that never really went towards tech. Uh, there was always a need for patients to access doctors uh, and stay in touch with those clients that way. But when a few of us were on the road teaching other physicians, the major void was how do you stay in touch with those doctors and how do they stay in touch with you? So for years, uh, industry, great companies like yours are hosting courses, hands-on courses, and then they would end, and that would be the end of it. You know, maybe there'd be an email or a phone call or maybe one site visit, but no other way to stay in touch. And so after a course one uh, day in 2012, uh, I had been in touch with some social media friends who introduced me to the concept of these private groups in the world of Facebook, and I just said, you know what, this is going to be absolutely perfect as a way to stay in touch with doctors uh, who are willing to exchange information uh, in the world of Facebook, but in a closed setting where they were not going to be accessed by the public. Uh, so we just started it, and it was really just a way for about nine of us in the beginning to stay in touch with each other and run by hard cases and uh, use the, the tools that we taught them in a lecture or in a hands-on course so that when they were back home, they had a question about it. They had a very quick, easy access to me and to a couple other uh, surgeons uh, with the use of their smartphone. And it honestly grew from there. Uh, within, I would say, about three to six months, so now we're talking about early 2013, we'd mm -hmm. gone from nine members to about 400. Wow. And it was just that sort of pop in volume where we actually uh, had to take a look and say, hey, what do we have here? And The cool thing... By yes, the way, please. is that the technology wasn't what it is today. So back then, there was no way to look at the statistics in the groups. There was no way to see what number of countries we were in. Uh, it was very rudimentary. And how many members do you have now? It's over 6,000, correct? 7,000? It's over 7,000 wow. now. Uh, and, what, and that's just part of the beauty of it. It's We're in 99 countries, but it's the number of other groups that have been started since then, that's also a little humbling. I mean, there's so many other surgeons who are part of our group who are like, you know what, I'd like to do the same exact thing for something I'm passionate about. And yeah. they started their, it was a robotic collaboration or it was a group of about mini instruments or pediatric surgery or abdominal wall reconstruction in India. They were all inspired by, by this concept and it just grew. Um, if you go online today, there's, hundreds of medical and surgical groups and i'm not saying that we inspired them all by any stretch but it's just nice to see it because the concept makes sense we were living in a world where uh, everything was silos and so uh, a piece of literature would be placed into pubmed and it would sit on a shelf until somebody accessed it uh, a course would be given and it would sit on your company's website until somebody accessed it what this did inadvertently was create a network where each human, each surgeon, uh, and each 
piece of education, whether it's a CAT scan or a lecture or even a, a paper, is now connected by a network that's real, it's, it's dynamic, and it's three-dimensional, and you can access it in real time whenever you need. And so it's that creation of a network. It's connecting the doctors that would inadvertently connect all their patients to better and optimized healthcare. That's what we saw happen. I absolutely love that. And as a member, I, I get to see this all the time and the benefits of being a part of the community and just quite frankly, how excited everybody is to be involved in the community that you've created. But I would have to imagine there were some obstacles in the very beginning of this that you had to overcome. Is there any that come to mind that you'd like to talk about or anything that you feel that over the past couple of years that um, benefits that you've been able to bring on, maybe the, the premium option that you're now including? Well... So I would say if you create something new and you don't have obstacles, you're going to be a failure. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, that's what continues uh, your growth. So, for example, can you still hear me, by the way? Absolutely. You're right here. The um, There are several obstacles, but the, the first one, which is... Um, Probably the most important one is that there's truly multiple ways to categorize surgeons. Mm -hmm. But one of those ways is is into those that are truly academic and scientists and those that are out in the, the private practice world and sort of disconnected from societies and disconnected from major, you know, tertiary institutions. Yep. And we, we really struck a chord with the, the private practice you know, sort of disconnected surgeon who's not really part of a society or not part of a major academic institution. Um, they are the ones that immediately found benefit from being connected to a network where we met resistance and we actually lost a lot along the journey. We're from the academic surgeons who found the level of exchange less scientific than they were used to in the publication world. Okay. And it took me it took me years to really understand this and 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 to really understand why uh, certain types of surgeons just did not want to collaborate uh, in this type of form. And if it wasn't for that obstacle, if it wasn't for that learning experience, I wouldn't have wanted to create an environment for a higher level or a more scientific way of exchanging information. So premium actually was. Uh, a gift from Facebook for, to us. Uh, they picked 20 groups wow. uh, across the globe uh, to beta test their subscription-based platform. Uh, we were, I believe, the only healthcare group uh, out there that they selected, and it was a really huge honor. But we struggled in the beginning to figure, what are we going to do with a second group that's now subscription-based? I mean, there's always the obvious, yeah, let's monetize the success of it. But was there something else that we could do? And, you know, this success of, of IAC is not just me. As you know, there was nine of us, as I mentioned, uh, who really poured their heart and soul into it. I just want to give them all a shout out since we're on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Mike Rosen uh, has been there from the beginning. Conrad Balliser, uh has been there from the early days. Uh, and these are very common names in the hernia surgery. But without them, uh, the early site would never have taken off. Uh, David Chen, Sherwin Tofai, Jorge Diaz from Colombia, all were instrumental in continuously posting and being there to reply to the early uh, posters that were in there. 
Uh, Guy Voller, uh, believe it or not, ex-president of the AHS, he was yeah. very active um, in the beginning and, and, and a huge user uh, of the platform. Igor Beliansky is, is one of our newer users over the last few years, and uh, his success has taken off worldwide, uh, mostly because of the immediate and transparent dissemination of some of the techniques he's teaching. Um, but as surgeons like those that, that believed in from the beginning, um, that made this thing a success. Now, there were a lot of surgeons that were purely academic that we lost or never got in the beginning. And the hope was that if we could put some of the higher level content into a premium group and then blend that with live surgery um, and more educational lectures where you could get CME credit, uh, that would be something that we could add value to. And the surgeon would be willing to pay a very nominal monthly subscription in order to have that access uh, moving forward. And we would hope that eventually we'd be seeing even some form of a publication show up in that network uh, where if we created the right platform and the right level of peer review, that a publication does not have to just be submitted to a journal so it ends up on PubMed. Mm -hmm. The publication, in fact, may be better off as part of a network that can be exchanged and shared within the people who actually are there to learn from that specific uh, disease discipline. So that was the sort of thought process behind what do we do with this gift that Facebook gave us uh, in creating premium. And it's really in its early phases. It's been out for six months. Uh, we're super excited about its potential for growth. Uh, we saw a steady rise in growth over the first six months. And now we're in sort of a rebuilding phase of saying, okay, we've got this entity. What are we going to do with it? Uh, so we've listened to some of the people that dropped out of it earlier or that still love it. And we're going to come back strong and continue to grow premium uh, over the next couple of years. And with this great platform, you know, there's so many wonderful aspects already occurring on it. What are your next steps? How do you keep it evolving? And how do you keep everybody engaged? What's your plan for the next five years? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, Believe it or not, we've never done anything active to keep anyone engaged. Okay. Um, if you ask around, we really never promoted it. Uh, if you look at all the lectures given, we've really never showed people um, or, or pulled people to join. It's It's been organic. And that's true for a lot of the other groups also. It's that they hear that there's this great way to stay in touch, um, and they pick one or two of the groups and they join them. So over the next five years, I don't think of something like this you control. I don't tell people to, to stay in it or to get disengaged in it. It has to continue to evolve based on what its active members want it to be. Okay. And, and you can't try to change something like that. So, and that's probably true for all networks. And so a really good social media site, it's, it's well known that they follow typically the 1990 rule which is that only 1% of total membership are really truly the active users, right? So if we have yeah. 7,000 members, that's wonderful. But in reality, only 1% of them are actively using it at any given moment. The next nine are what we call lurkers. They're the ones who wake up in the morning and read it, but they usually don't reply. They just read one or two posts. I want to see what's going on, or maybe they want to see what David Chen had to say or Conrad Balliser had to say. Uh, and then they move on. That's the 9%. And then believe it or not, 90% of all of these sites, they're like once a month or something. They'll check in every now and then, but you know, the posts get annoying to them or they don't want to read them all the time, but they stay a member for simply the fact that it's free. And who knows what they may see when they 
peek at it that one time. Uh, they don't want to miss out. So the most active sites have a robust 90%, you know, the, the, the non-lurker, non-active posters. So what I would like to see is a way to convert some of those 90% over to the 9%. Yeah. How do we get them involved in these sites? And, you know, really we have to know who they are. Uh, but I believe that that's one of the ways that we will see this evolve. And then the other way is, again, as I mentioned before, embracing the academic scientific surgeon. How do we take these sites that have a reputation for being less academic, which, you know, for personally, I don't believe at all, but, uh, and, and then turn them into a more academic site that's credible and believable. Um, and I think that's going to happen naturally. Because if you think about the current med student, right, or the current uh, resident that's out there, yep. generation than we were, they are used to their smartphones. They do everything uh, with their thumb and a, and a touch screen. So we have to be able to advance our educational efforts to match that. We have to be able to publish doing the same thing. And we have to be able to read and access our publications doing the same thing. We can't stick with the same model that's worked since the 70s and expect that that's going to live on forever. So behind the scenes, we're trying to look at ways uh, to disrupt that technology and allow the next generation of scientists, doctors, and surgeons to be able to publish and read their publications in, in a way that they haven't before. So that's what's next. I absolutely love that. And I have to tell you, I'm very proud to say to you, I'm part of the 1% that is looking every, I know I'm not a surgeon, but everything that you're doing every single day is just absolutely inspiring. And to see a surgical community come together in the way that they're, they are to both educate and learn from each other is once again, it's inspiring. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, I don't know if you have anything else that you would like to add, but this has been really fantastic speaking with you today. No, thank you. Yeah, and again, you know, this is not about me. It's about the community. It's about the network. Uh, and ultimately, it's about the message that gets back to the patients who belong to all these doctors that are collaborating. Um, and listening to the negatives, looking at the barriers and trying to get them better. Uh, you know, there are other barriers out there. There's uh, the, the really, really important concept of being HIPAA compliant, there's the important concept of discoverability that we have to protect. The surgeons who are using these sites with the primary intent to optimize a patient outcome and recognize that this is just another resource. Uh, we have to recognize the importance of registries and, and literature and embrace those entities as opposed to looking at it as a competition, look at it as an addition mm -hmm. uh, to those current entities. Um, and we've got a lot of hills to climb, so to speak, as we move forward uh, to be a mainstay. But I think we're on our way there for sure. I, I agree. Well, thank you, Dr. Jacob, on this episode um, number six of Why You Do What You Do. And we look forward to seeing what you keep on doing along with the rest of your community in the near future.